Welcome back to the Hockey Graphs Podcast. I am your host, Adam Stringham, and today I'm happy to be joined by the illustrious Christopher Watkins. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing pretty good, man. Uh, just uh, um, sort of as we discussed off uh, offline, uh, just got engaged this weekend, so signed my girlfriend to a, a lifetime contract. Um, <laughs> details to be announced uh, at some later point in time, but I'm happy about that Uh that acquisition i'll see a lot of upside in (laughs) (laughs) uh you know anything can be broken down into into uh uh asset values and all that stuff so uh happy about that but otherwise doing pretty good um as long as we don't talk about my blackhawks well i mean we don't have to talk about your blackhawks i mean i I you know i think everyone's a little oversaturated for the blackhawks i mean you guys are in almost every (laughs) single outdoor hockey game uh, every single piece of advertising, and you got to look at Patrick Kane's <laughs> huge forehead in that Christmas commercial, and it's just that hairline's receding really fast on that guy. That's all I'm going to say about it. But um, <laughs> I mean, you've seen it. But but today yeah, we want to yeah, talk about your new have. stuff. I mean, let's talk about a little bit about the stuff that you've coming out here and in, in, coming up. Um, and also, there was some big comments about a guy that uh, your new trade machine likes to think of pretty highly. I mean so does everybody in the world but let's talk about your new stuff yeah yeah so uh so this week uh or over at least the next you know seven days or so i'm probably going to be releasing a set of articles um talking about specifically about trade values um in the nhl um and really the onus of this project is um you know on espn for example they have a nba trade machine uh, where you can go in as a you know, fan of a team like my Chicago Bulls and say, I want to trade for, you know, LeBron or something like that. And you plug in, you know, some details into the system, you pick out the players, uh, you pick LeBron and the players going back to Cleveland and, you know, you press a button on the trade machine. It spits back out uh, likelihood of the trade actually happening and what the expected impact of that is for, for um, your team in particular. So that exists for the NBA. And I was always curious why there wasn't anything publicly um, around for the NHL in that regard. Uh, uh, as you know, uh, or uh, you may not know, um, you know, in the past year, for example, in the NBA, um, if we look at the list of the top 20 players, um, about seven or eight of them have moved, been traded, or have signed a free agent uh, uh, to different teams than the ones they were on previously. Um, you don't see quite that level of player movement in the NHL. And so – uh, I know people are always sort of chomping at the bit whenever that team has, you know, a five-game losing streak or a five-game winning streak. Um, they're, the team dynamics change uh, at a whim and always either look to consider themselves buyers or sellers. And so I just wanted to sort of really deep dive into that. Um, and so uh, a great case in point is that, you know, the recent news that Eric Carlson uh, uh, reported that uh, when his uh, free uh, – when his contract runs out in 2019, that he is not going to give the Ottawa Senators a hometown discount. Um, that sort of raised the uh, ire of the local uh, uh, Senators uh, uh, ownership group and then also raised the intrigue of a lot of GMs and fans around the league saying, wow, this, you know, once in a generation, you know, in its prime defenseman uh, may hit the market. Uh, what is the likelihood of us getting that? And so to me, that's a perfect example of why. Uh, such a tool and such an analysis would be needed because, you know, what's actually a realistic return for a player of that caliber. And so uh, I just thought it was a really interesting discussion. Um, 
sort of how that came about. Um, and I'm happy that it coincides with the release of all this information. Um, so hopefully all of the listeners of the podcast will be checking in hockey graphs over the next few days, um, see some stuff that, you know, interest them. And then I'll actually be releasing a public version of the trade machine uh, for people to use and play around with themselves uh, in, in the coming week. Yeah, I know you were using a beta version of that when we were doing the sure. uh, mock off season stuff. So, that, that, I, I mean, it, it seems like a pretty effective tool. Um, we'll see how it goes from there, though. So let's talk a little bit about Eric Carlson. Um, I mean, first yeah. off, before we get into much about like in his value, I mean, everyone knows how great he is, or I like to think that everyone knows that. I mean, he's a little undervalued, I think, still by by some, but generally speaking, he's sure. a guy that's always considered one of the top three or top five defenseman in the NHL, and he, and he definitely is that. I mean, he's, he's the best defenseman in the NHL in my mind. But when we talk about kind of him talking about leaving Ottawa, um, I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> let's talk about something that we don't really talk about on this show too much. How does that make you feel, Chris? Like, what are your thoughts kind of about <laughs> about the guy talking about leaving the city? Yeah, I mean, so this is going, uh, this is going back to um, – you know, the sort of difference in the NHL between the NHL and other sports where this is not necessarily a foreign conversation um, in other sports, you know, where people openly uh, opine about, you know, the, the possibilities of being a free agent and just sort of hitting free agency, seeing what's out there um, and, and then figuring out what, uh, you know, what the market value is, uh, what uh, possibilities exist in terms of their current team or some other team in the market. Um, and so I would say, you know, my personal feeling on it is this is great. I think, A, um, one of the reasons that I really enjoy this sort of discussion and, and Eric Carlson being so open about it is because I do think players actually do think this. Uh, it's not like Eric Carlson is the first person to ever think about uh, as a hockey player, you know, what, you know, am I actually worth? Everybody knows that Eric Carlson at $6.5 million a year is a, a, at a significant bargain a, a, as to what he deserves. And so for him to think about long-term, you know, I want to, you know, uh, create generational wealth for my family and live comfortably and, and get paid what I'm worth uh, in the market. There's nothing wrong with that sentiment. Um, as a fan of that particular team, I can definitely understand why that would cause some consternation. Um, Patrick Kane, uh, or to me, Duncan Keith is to me like the heart and soul of the Blackhawks. And if, you know, three years ago when he was uh, re-upping his contract extension, if he openly talked about leaving, I would be heavily concerned, um, particularly because the team was still in their championship uh, uh, prime at that time. Uh, Otto was a little bit further away, but I think, like, just hearing that the heart and soul of your franchise and really the only reason as an Ottawa fan really comes to the arena to come see the team play, um, that would concern me a lot. But I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, I think most people secretly in the back of their head also agree with Eric Carlson, but, you know, just this culture of conservatism and, uh, you know, taking one for the team, you know, understand that when you talk about millions of dollars and, and tens of millions of dollars, I think, you know, people will understand and your teammates will understand that, you know, there's only so much sacrifice you can make, um, especially when your team's not winning. Yeah. I mean, it, I feel like people like to win. And I think that in hockey, we have seen players take discounts to go to a team where they think they can win, or, or sometimes it is stuff like they like the location more. I mean, we saw Patrick Sharp uh, sign what I thought was a crazy low deal to go play for the Blackhawks <laughs> over the summer. Um, but just generally speaking, hockey is a sport where where it is kind of bizarre on how players uh, 
maybe it's not as much the play, players outwardly don't talk about the chances of leaving. Sure. Um, and, and what Eric Carlson has done is kind of led to Drew Doughty talking a little bit about um, kind of trying to get paid. And with all this talk about the salary cap maybe going up a lot this year, um, yeah. Do, do you think Carlson's starting a trend here about kind of players trying to game the market uh, well ahead of time? I I think so. I mean, to me, the clo- the closest equivalent of this will be when Steven Stamkos was a free agent and, uh, you know, sort of came down to the wire. We actually did hit free agency before he re-upped with uh, Tampa Bay and actually did it at a discount. Uh, obviously, I, you know, uh, looking back with hindsight, uh, with the injuries that came about, um, his contract is actually probably a fair value at this point. But at the time, you know, a 25-year-old, 60-goal uh, scorer, you know, doesn't come around uh, very often. And so at the time, we, you were talking about, you know, in the 11 or $12 million range uh, for S- Steven Stamkos. And so I think Carlson sort of openly talking about this uh, is really sort of you know, putting himself out there. You know, I, I, I know uh, Drew Doughty started the conversation, but I think, uh, even as uh, there was some back and forth about who actually deserved the Norris a couple of years ago, uh, I think Carlson is in another stratosphere than Drew Doughty. And Drew Doughty is one of the top uh, defensemen in the league, but I just think Carlson's one of the you know best defensemen to come around in the last 20 years, and there's no question about that. And so I think him being out there with this sort of proclamation, um, especially as an unrestricted free agent, I know a lot of people were looking at Connor McDavid, um, this sort of leverage he had over Edmonton, and uh, sort of hoping that he'd be asked for the max because that would just sort of change the entire conversation around uh, these contract extensions. Um, him not necessarily going for that and, and giving uh, Edmonton a little bit of a discount uh, sort of uh, uh, tempered those expectations. But I think Carlson is now pushing uh, those back out there. And I think uh, at the end of the day, it's good for the sport as a whole. It may not be good for Ottawa, but I do think this intrigue around where a player may go, um, you know, what it will the offseason look like in two years from now. This is something that doesn't happen in the NHL very regularly, but it's something that happens in a sport like the NBA all the time. People are, uh, LeBron is a free agent this year because LeBron is a free agent every year. He creates this entry around himself every year. And now people are like, will he go to Los Angeles with the Lakers? Or will he go to Houston with the Rockets or stay with Cleveland? You know, what is going on? All these fan bases are now intrigued and interested to see how this will play out. And I think the same thing is already happening with this Carlson talk. And so, like I said, I think it's good for the NHL overall, and it's creating a discussion around the Ottawa Senators that doesn't focus on how crappy they are um, on the ice. And so I think it works out for everybody um, at the end of the day, even if Carlson resigns. Well, I, I would argue that uh, it kind of makes the Senators look like a bit of a disaster off the ice. It might might not be the kind of press they really want to have necessarily, but um, when we kind of uh, – I mean, you, you brought up Connor McDavid, and now he's signed – probably for less than he could have. Um, do you think sure. when a player does do something like that, they're doing a disservice? Um, I mean, you just talked about kind of the league and stuff, but but to their fellow sure. players but by not yeah. kind of raising that bar. Yeah, no, I, I think 100% that, that's the case where uh, I said on Twitter a couple of months ago when players sign these eight-year contracts, uh, neither player or team benefits from these long-term contracts. Um, from a team perspective, Obviously, when, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of a, a great – Alex Ovechkin, Sidney Crosby, for example, are both sort of, uh, you know, signed these long-term contracts a few years ago um, and have, you know, played uh, at a level that is – at or above the level that they're getting paid 
Um, and so you can look at those as working out, but you have just as many instances where you have these long-term contracts and commitments that did not pan out. Um, if you look at Ottawa, Bobby Ryan is a great example where you see, you know, these long-term contracts that the players tied in forever, uh, you know, has to carry the, the tag of being the anchor. And, you know, Bobby Ryan was very honest when someone asked him about, well, will Vegas pick you up in the expansion draft? And he's like, for $7 million a year, absolutely not. You know, he knew that no one is touching his contract and, and he just sort of has to, you know, deal with that criticism every day that he plays. Um, and then from the player perspective, the reason why it's not great for them is uh, it, going back to the NBA example, um, LeBron, who I think is the closest Conor David equivalent that there is in another sport right now, uh, LeBron, when he was sort of um, uh, hitting, uh, uh, hitting unrestricted free agency and signing his second contract, um, what the previous thought process was at the time was as a player, you re-sign your team for the maximum amount of years, the maximum amount of dollars, and just play it out from there. And what LeBron actually did on that second contract was he signed a three-year contract, which was two years less than he could have, um, which gave him maximum leverage uh, to pick whichever team he wanted. That's the year he went from Cleveland to Miami um, and, and was able to build a super team um, that greatly increased his chances of winning a championship. Um, in addition, because he had that shorter contract, he was able to align himself with the increase in the salary cap that allowed him to not be tied into an undermarket contract as the salary cap increased. And so for Conor David, eight years from now, it's very hard to predict where the NHL salary cap will be. But my expectation is with a 2% increase, uh, the average annual increase that it's had, you're talking about at least a $90 uh, million cap, maybe in a great best case scenario, Gary Bevan gets fired, a $100 million <laughs> cap. Um, and, and, you can't, and you can't take advantage of that because you're locked into this under market contract. And then when you, you know, come out of that, you're, you're past your prime, you may not get the full amount of dollars. So I think just not taking that aggressive approach, that sort of forward thinking approach um, does a disservice to his, uh, to his fellow players. Um, it's hard for a player like Austin Matthews, who's probably the next big contract uh, in terms of a young player that's coming up who will want to push for a larger, you know, a dollar amount or shorter term and, you know, uh, you know, Lou Lamorello can just push back and say, well, you're no Conor David, um, you know, how dare you ask for this? You know, you got to sacrifice for the team. We can never build a, a contender, you know, with you making all this money. You know, it just creates all these trickle-down effects that unfortunately uh, suppresses the overall market for any free agent going forward. Yeah, that's that's definitely the case. And um, I, I want to circle back, though, to, to Eric Carlson and, and talk a little bit about Sure. Um, kind of what what do you think he's worth? Uh, I mean, in a salary cap league, <laughs> it, it's hard to kind of go. Do you deal in percentages of the cap, or do you go? Sure. But I mean, w- how do you value him? Yeah, yeah. So, and, and this is actually a great precursor to sort of explaining the trade machine. Um, uh, uh, and so, basically, the backbone of the trade machine. Just as a quick explanation is, uh, if uh, anybody that uh, paid attention to the to the Red Hat Conference this year, or has paid attention to Matt Cain's work, a fellow uh, hockey graphs uh, legend, uh, um, uh, Matt yeah, made the rounds uh, this summer with his free agent projections. And so I use that older version of his model uh, to basically identify what a the free agent value will be for every player in the league if everybody had the ability to sign a contract right at this moment. Um, and so it's basically 
you know, what is the average value of a five-year contract for any given player in the league at this moment? That's their trade value. Um, and so, you know, doing that, uh, it's really basic, you know, just four basic variables, um, you know, basically, uh, you know, five on five points, five on five assists, uh, power play points, um, and, and shorthanded time on ice. Um, there's an aging uh, curve in there and then a game play curve. Uh, so that's basically all that goes in there. Um, so anyways, you do all that. You basically come up with the player value for every player in the league. And uh, what you get is a number saying, if this person signed a five-year contract today, this is what this person will be worth. So anyways, doing that, um, I ran that for every single player in the league. Um, Eric Carlson actually came out second in that analysis. Um, and, and because I do it separately for forwards and defensemen, um, he actually came in right behind Connor McDavid. Um, and so at that number that I found for him, I had him for $65 million over five years, which comes out to about a little bit over $13 million a year. Um, and now while that necessarily, you know, that would be the highest contract ever, I, w- I want to say the second highest contract signed, uh, I can't remember what Shea Weber's ultimate offer sheet was for, um, but that's where he comes out at. And so $13 million is a pretty pricey sum uh, for any player, but the other thing that you have to take into account, especially for Eric Carlson is, if you're a team that's trading for him, he's a $13 million a year player right now, but he's literally only making half of that um, on his current contract. So even if you're only trading for him as a rental until he hits free agency, you're still getting him at a significant discount to what he's actually worth in the open market. And that uh, analysis also takes into account that he'll be uh, uh, approaching age 30 uh, on that next contract and he'll still be a significantly productive player. And so, uh, as I said, the second best, um, you know, player or trade value asset in the league um, and by far in a way the best defenseman. I think number two was Victor Hedman and I had him coming in at a little over uh, $10.5 million a year um, on a five-year contract. So um, just the gap between him and anybody else in the league is uh, uh, from a defenseman standpoint so significant that any team will be crazy not to try to throw that hat in the ring and, and try to get him in a trade if Ottawa was really serious about moving him. Do you think they are serious about moving him? Yeah, so, you know, um, just going back to the question uh, of whether the Senators will actually move Carlson, um, I, I think we have to work backwards from the fact to say, will Eric Carlson resign with uh, Ottawa? Um, and a, a great comparison point is if you look at, for example, uh, John Tavares, who's a, who's a big free agent for this year, um, as the Islanders, you have to be, at least be – uh, happy that the team is, you know, competing. They have a lot of young, up-and-coming talent. Um, you can at least craft a story around the fact that, you know, John, if you stay with us, um, we can, you know, build a team around you. You already have a legacy here. You can retire as, you know, one of the Islanders' greats, so on and so forth. Um, and we, we can build a team that can compete around you. Um, I don't think that Ottawa can make that same compelling argument. Um, I don't think they have the the prospects to the level of a Matt Barzal or uh, – uh, even a Josh Hosang, um, and I don't think that the overall core of the team is anywhere near close to competing or uh, on the aging curve that would say, well, there are pieces to go away and they can do it, you know, in the next couple of years. You have Bobby Ryan's contract for the next four or five years. You have Deontay Nuss' contract for the next four or five years. Um, even Mike Hoffman, uh, you know, is, is sort of hitting the the end of the peak for for a, a top-scoring forward. So, you look around that team, uh, 
you know, the goaltender is 37 years old. There's not a lot of promise and upside there uh, for a guy like Carlson. And so literally, and then to be honest, I don't, I'm not even sure they have the cap room to sign him at the number that he deserves. And so, you know, if I'm Eric Carlson's agent and I'm Eric Carlson, I want to win championships and not just have my legacy be, I want a whole bunch of Norris's, but don't really have much else to show for it. Um, I really see him leaving. And so if that's something I know as Pierre Dorian, uh, the, his return is only going to get worse the longer, you know, this sort of plays out. And so for me as a GM, I can flip him now. Um, the team that acquires him has him for a year and a half. Uh, they have him for this year's playoff push. That team immediately becomes a, if they're already in the playoff picture, they immediately become a definite uh, cup contender or at least a dark horse uh, for that. And they still have another year left of him. And so to me, that that warrants a significant return versus if you wait till next year, see how he's feeling about it, so on and so forth. Um, that team that's only acquiring him for a three-month stretch run is not sure that they're going to get him uh, any longer after that. The return is going to be much less. And so, you know, I think no matter what, Pierre Dorian is probably going to get fired regardless because of the team's performance. <laughs> um this is definitely. I mean, this is definitely a, a situation where you can see the moral hazard of a GM uh, trying to keep their job uh, and putting that above that what's best for the team. What's best for the team is probably moving on from Carlson, uh, sort of tearing everything down. Um, and if I'm Dorian, I'm saying, I'll give you Eric Carlson, but you have to take back Deion Phaneuf, or you have to take back Bobby Ryan. They obviously have no uh, uh, modified no trade clauses, but that's a content. Uh, that's one of the contingencies I'll put out there if I'm the GM saying, well, if we're going to tear this whole thing down, we're really going to do it all the way. Um, but I, I, I think it is something that has to happen for the good of the long-term future of the franchise, even though there is going to be a significant hit uh, in terms of fan interest, in terms of backlash from the ownership. GM is probably definitely going to get fired. Guy Boucher may survive, who knows, but it's already a tire fire to begin with. So, uh, holding, kicking the can down the road isn't going to make it any better. All right. So you just said you you think that you know if 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 you were the general manager, you'd try to you know basically package Carlson with some of these other big money contracts, which in my yeah. mind would really limit you know the the where you could trade him. So so where do you think that he'd be a good uh, a good fit? Uh, and when where do you think the fe- the Senators would like to put him if if that was the case? I mean. You know, I don't think Ottawa is good enough to say we don't want him in the Eastern Conference or trading him division rival. I think they're so far behind uh, uh, contention right now that that's not something that they can uh, take, you know, take into account. Um, but what I will say is that I'm thinking of it as, you know, let's say Pierre Dorian is convinced that, you know, Eugene Melanek won't come down and fire him the day after he trades Eric Carlson. You know, he's going to be there for the next three or four years and is trying to figure out, like, how can I recover from this and, and actually get something back? Well, for me, in that scenario, I'm looking at a, as you said, there's two ways you can go about it. You can sort of uh, get young, young up and coming players back um, and increase the return by not attaching those bad uh, odious contracts to it. Or you can say, Hey, I just want to clean cap space or as much as possible. Um, I'll, I'll have a call for the contract off the books. I have one of these, you know, Fanufa Ryan's contracts off the books, you know, clear around 10 or 15 million in cap space. We're going to be a bad team. Uh, the draft is pretty good this year. I can get a Rasmus Dowling, which is the closest equivalent 
uh, to Eric Carlson that we've seen in the draft in quite some time. Uh, next year's draft is supposed to be somewhat decent. I can set myself up that we can be back on the right track two or three years from now. Um, so when I look at that, I look at, I would really want some players with a ton of upside, but maybe who aren't ready to play at the big time yet. And so um, with that in mind, I look at, uh, you know, Toronto to me is an intriguing option. I think they have the cap space to make uh, some, uh, 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 the cap space and the assets to sort of make the move if they really wanted it to. Um, but it's really, you know, how does Toronto feel about accelerating that window on the timeline? Um, they're definitely going to have to move probably one of Marner or Nylander, um, plus some other assets, maybe a Timothy Lilligren, uh, probably a JVR or a, uh, a Nazem Kadri, somebody like that, um, to make the trade even uh, palatable for Ottawa. Um, but that's a intriguing option. Um, another team that I really like is Winnipeg. Um, I think Winnipeg has, you know, some, they have the forward depth, for example, where I think if you move a guy like, I'm trying to think, Kyle Connor, Jacob Truba, a first round pick, Josh Morrissey, something like that, you know, some package of that, you know, that may, that may move the needle. Um, you know, there's not a lot of teams that are necessarily error cross in a way um, that you could say are willing to make that move. I, I know Pittsburgh would be intrigued by it, but as Ottawa, I'm not really intrigued by what Pittsburgh has to return. Um, a, a guy I'd be maybe interested in if I wanted to sort of accelerate the turnaround is John Klingberg and, uh, and uh, Dallas. Uh, I think he's one of the league's most underrated uh, D-men. Um, I think you can get some decent – uh, additional assets on top of that. And Dallas is in sort of a win now mode. So, you know, that would at least make sense. And, and Carlson's timeline aligns with Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan. Uh, so uh, there's some people there. Um, the other, the other team I will maybe consider talking to is, uh, is St. Louis. Um, I think St. Louis, you can get Pareko back plus, you know, a couple of their, their younger prospects. Um, I, I can see something there. Um, one of those teams that's on the cusp, that's desperate for uh, playoff contention. I can see that happening. Um, but to me, any team in the league with any of the, one of the top tier prospects outside of Matthews and Connor McDavid, uh, I think they really should be ringing up Pierre Dorian every minute on the minute and seeing what they can do. I just think that level player at that contract for the next two years, um, there's no way you shouldn't be pushing our uh you know, for the conference finals or the cup finals uh, at this point. I mean, Chris, there's, there's a lot of places that I, you're making it sound like it, it, it's not only feasible, but uh, beneficial for, for Ottawa. And obviously every team in the world would love to have Eric Carlson uh, as a member of uh, their back end. So it's, mm -hmm. it's, 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 I mean, it's not the best way to put it, but um, it would all work out pretty well. So, I mean, Chris, what else, do you have anything else for me that you want to talk about today? I mean, I, I love stretching out into more episodes because it means I get to talk to you again. So, you know, it's whatever you want to do. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just think this whole conversation around, like, you know, as I said, I, I, I think this is sort of uncharted territory for the NHL in this sort of day and age where um, players sort of have the ability to get their story out, control the message, and I know there's been some backlash around uh, uh, you know, what Carlson has said, but I, I think players deserve the right to say, um, you know, this is, 
I'm a free agent. I've earned the right. I've played under, you know, these contract terms for the past uh, nearly a decade or so of my prime years. Um, I've done everything I'm supposed to do as a player and the team isn't stepping up to the plate in terms of being a championship contender or being close to it or, or finding the right pieces to build around me. I, I don't think I deserve criticism uh, for looking elsewhere uh, for my next step. Um, so this, uh, this is a sort of uh, SOS to John Tavares as well. Um, you know, if he's willing to, to move to a team like the Chicago Blackhawks so with the championship tradition <laughs> uh, for a discount of some sort, uh, you know, I think, I think that's something that he should explore. But I, I really think, um, to be honest, what Tavares does this summer will have a big impact on what both uh, Dowdy and Carlson uh, consider doing uh, in the summer following. Uh, I think Tyler Sagan is also up. Um, and, and that year too. And so um, it, it will be interesting to see. I, I think, like I said, uh, a lot of NHL GMs uh, would be derelict in their duty and not throwing everything against the wall to get Eric Carlson on their team. Uh, and same thing with Drew Doughty, even though I think LA is doing a much better uh, job this year in terms of uh, making the case that for him to stay. But um, yeah, I mean, I think this is an interesting discussion. Uh, I look forward to the trade. Uh, machine and the articles that come out in the next couple of days. Um, uh, everybody can go in and sort of build up a package for their favorite team uh, to see what would sort of move the needle for our for Ottawa. But I will say, um, just um, just as a side note, um, a, a guy like Carlson at the value point that I sort of pointed out earlier um, at $65 million over five years, um, that normally entails a top-line center um, plus – one or two first round draft picks. Um, so uh, as a point of comparison, yeah, it, it, exactly. So, and so that's why I said that the sort of trade partners are limited just because, you know, as a point of comparison, Patrick Kane uh, is one of the top ranked forwards. He's at 51 million over five years. Um, so about 10 million a year. And so that's still 14 million behind uh, what Carlson's value is over five years. Um, and I include first round picks in the trade machine. First round, the average first round pick is worth around nine million dollars a year. So, like I said, Patrick Kane plus a first round pick maybe gets you within sniffing distance, um, but it's still not enough for a uh, a a uh, one for one trade. Um, you would still have to throw in a, a, an extra piece, uh, Nick Smaltz or something like that, in there to to make it work out. Um, uh, Nikita Kucherov is another great example. He's at fifty eight million over the next five years. Um, that's still a, probably around a first round pick plus Nikita Kucherov to make that happen. Like Carlson is just so much better than any other defenseman in the league that he is literally, you literally have to talk about Connor McDavid or our Austin Matthews uh, uh, to, to make it worth your while. But I think Ottawa's really backed themselves into a corner um, with no way of getting themselves out. So like I said, I'll, I'll be intrigued for the discussion around it. I'll be intrigued to see how this plays out over the next few months. But I, I really, I really don't want to be Pierre Dorian at this moment right now. I think he, uh, the sword of Damocles hangs heavy over his head right now. <laughs> the bell will toll for him before too long. But, you know, when you work in the NHL, it's always just a matter of time. Um, Chris, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I know our, all of our listeners appreciate when you come on, and I think it's going to be some great uh, content that you've coming out on Hockey Graphs soon this week. Um, where should all of our listeners, uh, I mean, they can obviously see your work on Hockey Graphs, but um, obviously social media is a great place to get that out. So where should they follow you? Uh, yes, I've officially uh, uh, 
you know, confessed my sins and cleaned up my Twitter account. So now I'm happy to share it to <laughs> the general public. Uh, uh, Yolo Pinado, uh, Pin- yeah, I have to spell it out uh, just for everyone. Uh, uh, Yolo uh, underscore Pinado, P-I-N-Y-A-T-O. Please do not ask me how that name came about. It is, you know, it is a trademark at this point, and, and I can't change it. Uh, but uh, you know, I re- released some of the stuff I'm working on there. Um, you know, random graphs and uh, analysis that I have. Um, I'm also doing some coverage of. Uh, uh, the Rangers uh, will be doing some stuff for the Lightning uh, in the next couple of weeks as well. Um, so uh, between Hockey Graph and Twitter, um, you'll find most of my stuff. That's great. Chris, thank you so much and uh, really appreciate it. Uh, thank you too, man.